0: Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all that you're doing in our midst. We uh, thank you for this opportunity that we have to to gather, uh, to study your word, to worship you. Through our time uh, just in the scriptures, we ask that you would uh, take away distractions that we have in our mind, take away uh, things that are weighing on our heart. We ask, Lord, that as we... um, Place our attention on the scriptures that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us, that you would give us clarity of what's being said here. This is a, this, this is a passage that can be difficult to understand. We can run off course. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to stay on course, to, to keep the main thing first and foremost. And that's, that really is to bite in Christ because Apart from Him, we have nothing. We have no security. We have no hope. And so, Lord, this world is filled with distractions trying to pull us away uh, from Christ. And in this section, I just, I, I just keep hearing uh, the Apostle John and Jesus sort of speaking to us, Lord, as as a parent would speak to their child in a crowded area. Just stay with me. Stay with me. Hold my hand, and don't get lost. And so, Father, I pray uh, that through this time together that you would help us uh, to stay with you, to stay close to you, to walk with you, Lord, through our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, and you also will abide in the Son and in the Father, This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And Father, we do thank you uh, for this time. We ask that you would teach us. Lord, help us, lead us, uh, help us understand what is said here. But most importantly, Lord, we pray uh, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that we would um, allow it to go to our hearts and into our lives, that we would walk with you uh, today and all the days of our life. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so one of the things I've learned is that raising kids in Valley Center is a little bit different. Um, we we had the, uh, the pleasure of having our little nephew uh, stay with us. He's about like Almost, no, he's like almost, he's like one and a half or so, looking at my wife, I'm like, he's like about yay big. Um, and, and so I, you know, when a city kid comes to the country, you realize that they have not been indoctrinated in important things. And I recognize that for raising kids in Valley Center, we teach them about things like scorpions and rattlesnakes and how to have sort of Street smarts with, about these things. Um, I remember when our kids were really little, we would go to the zoo, and Anna hates the reptile exhibit. But it's like, no, we got to train our kids to go to the reptile exhibit so that they can see what a snake looks like, they can identify it, figure out what their game plan is to do. And I don't know that early on that our kids really paid that much attention. A couple years ago, it was like, dear, it was in the midst of COVID. Uh, Grace was gone. And uh, Ellie might have been gone too. We definitely had the boys. And so we went from our house and we can make it out to uh, up into Daly Ranch for a hike. And it was one of those days that it was hot. And it was like, this is going to be a gamble. This is like a super bad day to go for a hike. But the boys wanted to do something. So we were going to go for an evening walk. It was like pressing sunset. And my little boys, they like to go. And so they they were kept running ahead and were kind of like, hey, boys, it's like super dangerous rattlesnake time. Like, you got to really stay close to us. Like, I want to be able to see. I want to, like, I'm fearful that you're not going to be able to see the danger. And it would work for about maybe like, I don't know, like half a second, and then they take off running, and it's like where we couldn't see them. It's like, come back. Boys, boys, you got to, like, you really have to come back. And then as we were getting near the end of our walk, um, It was like getting, it was like getting dark. We were just about to get to like asphalt and, and all of a sudden the boys ran ahead. They were running ahead and they were coming back and it was like this huge rattler. And you know, it was where it gave the full, the full, uh, warning with the big, that, you know, when those rattles go, it like adrenaline immediately pumps. It's like within you, you stay clear and it like horrified them. And, you know, so we figured out a way. We're like, oh, we should have brought some flashlights so we could really see what was going on, because now it was getting dark. And we got away, and I remember our boys were just super, like, horrified, like, of the encounter. And I remember that Anna and I kind of were like, well, that was scary. And it was, like, it was, it was really unnerving, because it's a reminder that they're out here, and they're real, and it is a danger, and it is a threat. But we're like, this encounter that they had was probably super good for them because now when we say, hey, there's rattlesnakes, be cautious. So let's fast forward to this Friday. (laughs) Uh, This Friday, we had our house kind of locked up. Our garage is really more like a living room for us. And I woke up at like four, it was super hot and stuffy. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull the sliding glass door open. I pulled the sliding glass door open, shut the screen go out the side door and go for a morning walk, go about my day. Grace and I, a couple hours later, we're driving into Escondido and I get a text from Ellie. Dad, there's a snake in the house. Uh Uh-oh. And then I like call Anne and she's like, I'm just getting the text too. I'm just like in the bathroom and like, what's going on? And and so then we get a picture. I mean, she's like, oh, now I'm in trouble. Um, I'm just rehashing the story. And so then I get the picture, it's a total rattlesnake. And it's like, oh man, like, Grace, pull over, like, I gotta take the wheel and race home to, like, deal with this. And, and so we dealt with it. You can have the story end however you prefer the story to end. I, I'll leave that to, like, <laughs> that can be controversial. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so then it's kind of like, Okay, guys, what happened? Like, like, how did, how did you guys see this? Because where it was, uh, it was like the sliding glass door got pulled shut and then the screen door got shut and then it was in between that section. And getting was like, well, I got up and I, I was going to go around to the back to see the animals. And when I opened up the screen, I felt something. And then I saw the snake. And so I shut the screen door and I'm like, we're going to have an award ceremony for you. So like, <laughs> put him under the flagpole, got one of my old useless medals, and we did a full-blown ceremony like you're being awarded. And, <clears throat> like, we'd warned him. We'd been with him. We had these opportunities so that the moment came when he was alone, that he saved, like, the nightmare of this is Rattlesnake made it all the way into the house. Like, oh, man, like, we would just burn down the house, I think, and move <laughs> is how we would probably deal with it, um, I think this story sort of illustrates what the Apostle John is doing for us in today's story. He wants, he knows that the only safety for us is to stay close to Jesus, hold his hand, walk with him. In a crowd, you could get stolen, you could get led astray, you could wander off, you can do, like, it's a dangerous world out there. And he's saying, little children, hold Jesus' hand tightly because there's dangers, there's threats. You've seen people who have been, let astray. And so we begin the passage right away. He says, "Children," this phrase that the apostle John, he's probably 90 years old at this time. He's the only living apostle. He's 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 writing this group of believers, that are believers. He loves them. He's concerned about them. "Children, it is the last hour." And just as you've heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many anti excuse me, you heard that antichrist is coming even now many antichrist have appeared from this we know that it is the last hour and so we we see this word the last hour a couple times and it's very easy to sort of like run down the sort of the the rabbit trail of like chronology and timing and like the seminary i went to it's it's it, it, the, you know it's a the library's the tim LaHaye library like the everything is the you know our library was built at my seminary because of the left behind books. Like, so, end times, it was always very, like, prominent and, and in the front. And it's super easy for us to, like, see today's passage and to really miss the whole point. There's really only one command for us in this whole section, and the first part is, is descriptive. So he's saying it's the last hour. I don't think he's speaking about chronology, timing, that like, uh, w- w- what I believe that he's saying when he speaks of this last hour, and even in the context as we go on, uh, uh, in the term of f- prophetic things unfolding, biblically speaking, and where John was writing from, the next thing that he was awaiting was Jesus to return. And I'll just sort of leave it at that. That doesn't mean that it would be a week from the time of writing. We know that. A year, two years, three years. It's been 2,000 years. Who knows? It could be another 2,000 years. Like, all we know is what I understand from my understanding of the text and what it seems to say is that we are in this sort of last season. We're not waiting for some other event to occur before these things unfold. He says it is is the last hour. Just as you have uh, heard... So they've been hearing something. He's addressing something that has been going on. Um, they've heard something that Antichrist is coming. I corrected myself because I I accidentally did what we probably all did in our minds is put a definite article there. The Antichrist. It there is no definite article. It just says Antichrist. So from this passage, sort of the way we read it, and we're 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 looking at this, we see. Okay, they've heard something dealing with Antichrist. And because of the era that we live in and the things or the propensities that we go into, your minds can go like a bazillion different directions and start running to all sort of conclusions without letting the text speak. And I really want to guard from doing that. Um, so, the Antichrist, so that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know it is the last hour. And so I don't really want to expand on this word antichrist at this point because John is going to expand on it in a little bit. However, I do want to make a couple observations. First, the word antichrist. It is only used five times in the whole of the whole Bible. So just let that one settle, okay? The only person who uses this word is the apostle John. He uses it three times in today's passage that we're using. It will appear one more time in chapter 4, and then he'll use it again in Second John. So five times it's used. It's only used by the Apostle John. And so we really have to sort of um, allow the text to speak to us and let the text say what it says. Not any of your preconceived thoughts about this. Um, and I don't want to get wrapped around the axle on it. So I'm kind of preaching to myself right now because there's a whole lot that can be said. So in saying at the text, when we read that Antichrist is coming, so they heard about it, and he he kind of says, indeed, there are now many Antichrists, and he uses sort of the plural. And because of these many Antichrists, which he's going to define for us in a little bit, He's saying, because of this, we know that we're sort of in the, it like affirms that we're in this last season, that the hour is sort of, we're we're awaiting Christ. And and next week's section where I read today, how we live our lives matters. We should be holding Jesus' hand because when Jesus appears, we don't want to shrink away in shame. And so all of this is sort of leading towards how we're leading our lives, how we're walking with Jesus. Um, And he's looking at the landscape. He sees many things concerning Antichrist. Now, Antichrist can be two, understood two ways. It's really used two different ways. Uh, the first could be sort of in a counterfeit sort of uh, position. Um, there, as we look at our landscape, there are many things out there that speak on behalf of Jesus that are counterfeit. They are not true representations of jesus the historical jesus or, or the bible uh this this week or the last two weeks i like this is like one of those that's like it really kind of like was like uh, bothered me um, but like our governor is running billboards across the nation right now um, the the billboards. Are basically saying like if you can't get an abortion there, California will fund you to come have an abortion here. You're safe in California to have abortion. Okay. That's 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 fine. Like I, I get it. I know where we live, I know the times, I know how California, the stance of California, that's great. The part that really bothered me is on these billboards, he quotes the Bible. And he quotes Jesus. And he quotes like like, I forget what passage, but it was Mark, and basically, like, love, love, like, love is to love your brother. And so he's saying, California, quoting Jesus, California loves you because Jesus told us to love, therefore you can come and have an abortion in California, and we'll make sure that it gets done. And there are people who will read this and go, oh, Jesus says it's okay to have an abortion because he loves, it. like, so there's a total counterfeiting of, like, the biblical Jesus. And there's a lot of that that we see, oh, Jesus said that, and it's like, oh, well, can you point me to where he said that? It's like, oh, it's in the Bible. I'm like, oh, no, 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 like, I know the Bible. Can you just, like, can you show me the verse? Yeah. Oh, it's all over the place in the Bible. Well, can you show me the one place? And, well, I can't do that right now. I'll get, I'll get back to you. Okay, well, get back to me. When we have the place in the Bible, we'll talk about what it says there, and if the Bible says it, then I'm going to, I'll, I'll submit to it. So there's the counterfeiting of Jesus is the one way the word Antichrist can be used. The other way is to be opposed to Christ, totally against Christ. And, and that is, both, both of these are super familiar. Um, so verse 18, children, it is the last hour. He starts with this. He ends with this. It sort of bookends this verse. And he says that you've heard that there are many, ant- that you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have appeared from this we know it is last hour. So he's saying this this for sure. There are things happening that when I look at the landscape of our times during his time, he affirms to them that, that it is the last hour, it is the last season. The next thing they are awaiting is the return of Christ. Then we come to verse 19. They, these individuals, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would not they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So he's describing. So in these Antichrists, there's clearly groups. He's dealing with something that they're going through. So clearly there were individuals that were a part of them, that they were, um, so far as they could tell, that they were a part of the church. They were, they were walking with them. They loved Jesus. They professed Jesus. And now these individuals are no longer with him. It's not like they went from uh, First Baptist Church of Valley Center to Second Baptist Church of Valley. And it's not like they just changed churches and they are going to a different evangelical Christian church and they're all of their doctrine. That is not what we're talking about. They walked away from God altogether. And in, and in this case, they are actively now going against Christ. And I believe that John is writing to these individuals who are dealing with like the the confusion, the pain, the hurt over this. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I can assure you that the longer that you're a Christian, the longer that you walk with Jesus, you you will be met with someone that you know and love from the faith that turns away from Christ. It's def- it's it, it is confusing. It's um it's like hard to like rectify, like what's going on. Like over the years, I can think of guys that I was in seminary with who were, were zealous, passionate, gave everything to walk with Christ. And now I'll hear from people and it's like, Hey, how are you doing? And he's like, I haven't been in church in a while. I don't really believe anymore. I've heard from missionaries that we've supported who have walked away from the faith, renounce Christ. And it's, it's like devastating. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's a real sobering sort of like, what do we do with this? What does this mean for us? And then often sort of like the question is like, well, what was their faith back then? Like, as far as I could tell, you know, they walked like a duck. They sounded like a duck. I thought they were a duck. I thought they were one. Like, a, cause in this passage, They went out from us. They were a part of us in every single way, like Judas. Like in every measurable way, their profession, their lives, their actions, everything demonstrated that they were believers. And now they're not. And then it's sort of like that I've grappled with. Well, did they lose their salvation? Did they walk away from their salvation? Did they like? Were they ever really saved? Like what? What? Like, what was happening? Because only God can really tell the condition of somebody's heart. And so for me, from this passage, what John writes is, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So he says, if they were truly a part of us and they were with us, then they would have still been persevering along on their journey. They still would be uh, walking along in faith. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. And so he says, we thought they were of us, but they weren't really. And there are these passages, like I think of Jesus, talking about that he lets the wheat and the chaff grow up together. And in the end, he's going to sort of separate them. There's passages like Matthew chapter 17, which is super horrifying, that says, in that day you'll say to me, Lord, Lord, did I know you? And it's like, Get up, depart from me, I never knew you. So they're, they're like... In the midst of our midst, there are individuals who we think are believers, but, but John is saying they were never really a part of us. And it can be kind of sobering. I mean, I mean it's, it's nerve-wracking because, like, what about me? Am I really saved? Am I really walking with Jesus? And I think from the test of John, it's like, well, are you abiding in the word of God? Are you walking in sound doctrine? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you walking closely with Jesus? Because apart from sort of abiding with Jesus, there is no security of your salvation. You, you know, quote unquote, walking the aisle when you were five years old in some Baptist church back in Tennessee, and now you're 95 years old, but you haven't lived your life with Christ this whole time. There's not really assurance in the Bible for that. The, The assurance is that we are walking actively with Christ. That's how we know. And if we're not actively walking with Christ, then there's not assurance there. Now, we do know that there are certainly carnal Christians. There are people who have placed their faith in Christ, but there's not necessarily security. There's not assurance. Uh, when I was living my life as a Christian, apart from Christ, early in my faith, there was uneasiness. It was super miserable. And it was a beautiful thing that God was making me very unsure of my salvation based on the, how I was living my life. And so here we have, we just have this passage where he goes from this, hey, there's lots of antichrists. There's many people who've been lured away. We thought they were of us. Now they're not of us. Um, for those of us who remain, like in this, it can turn into a little bit of semantics. And, and I try to avoid that at all costs. You might believe, oh, you can lose your salvation. I, I don't like agree with that, but it's like, or you were never saved. Like, I only God really knows. And at the end of the day, whether somebody lost their salvation or somebody walked away from their salvation or they were never saved, our, tr- our responsibility as a church is exactly the same. What is that? Well, we love on them. We share Christ with them. We continue to minister to them. Hopefully that they will return to Christ. And what, like, only God really knows. Like, you know, I, it, it's a tough thing. And he turns his attention to them. And I, and I think that he senses that he, as he says this, it should lead us to the question, like, am I really saved? Am I walking with God? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to fall short? Am I, like, I going to go through all of this and stay faithful just to turn my back at the end? And he says to them in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know that I have not written to you because you do not know the tr- truth, but because you do know it and because no lies of the truth. And this seems to be saying that he's writing to them, not to scold them, not to call them out for being fakes and phonies. He's writing to them to bring them assurance that you guys know Jesus. You're walking with him. You have the anointing, which, which Ephesians 1.13 tells us that when you believed, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit, and there's evidence of the Spirit of God working in their life, and he sees it, and he's encouraging them to stay close and to keep walking with Jesus. But the real question is like, like, what did they have correct? Cause clearly they had something correct doctrinally. And this is what the apostle John is about to expand upon in the next verse, verse 22. And he asks, who is the liar? He says, because, and because previously in verse 21, and because no lie is of the truth. And then he says, who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the jugular vein of all doctrine. Who is Jesus? There are many people, like uh, many faiths outside of the Christian faith that will say, oh, Jesus was a good man, a good teacher. Um, he was a great example, but he wasn't God. He wasn't deity. He didn't die on the cross to pay for our sins. Some say he was just a man who became God. Some say he was an angel that fell from heaven. Or there, There's just all sorts of, of questions out there. And if you you want to identify the accuracy of teaching, is what do you do with Jesus? Oh, we believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? Because this is the absolute jugular vein. And if the person denies that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Messiah, he says this is the Antichrist. So the one who denies Christ. The one who rejects Christ, the one who goes against Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, this person is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And so this point is like not negotiable. Like, this, this, is, this is something that as a church, like, we hold in our right hand. The things in our right hand, these are things that we, like, fight and die over. Like, that we, we, we don't, we just can't give on. The Bible makes it very clear about who Jesus is. Things in our left hand like, can Christians have a glass of wine at dinner? You might say yes. You might say no, that's okay. Can I read out of whatever translation? Can I listen to this kind of music? Can I uh, wear Levi's to church on Sunday? Like, There's all sorts of things in the left hand that Christians have different convictions on, but these aren't things that we divide over. He goes on to say, Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus is the most critical point of our faith. He is the dividing line in the sand. You can't claim to be all right with God and to deny Christ. The Jesus of the Bible, right that he was born of a virgin, that he was Fully God, fully man, the hypostatic union of Christ. He was our substitute. We believe in a substitutionary atonement, meaning that we did not do anything to get right with God. We cannot do anything to get right with God. But Jesus being God could go to the cross as our substitute to have the wrath of God come upon him where he paid for our sins, past, present, and future. This is the only way to get right with God. This isn't negotiable. And if if we find ourselves being led a course by whatever, being more inclusive and opening up the door to, well, all roads lead to heaven. Well, that's not true anyway. Like all roads don't lead to one point. Like it doesn't work that way. And he makes it very clear in this section, if you deny the son, you don't have salvation. If you deny the son, you're not of God. He would say in John Three thirty-six. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, whoever believes in, this is where my Bible memory falls apart. Um, but in John 3.36, John writes, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus isn't negotiable, and during John's time, like our time, there's a whole lot of manipulating and changing and distorting who Jesus is, and so it's super critical for us as followers of Christ to stay grounded in the Jesus of the Bible so that we don't get led astray because it is so easy for us to to see a little lure of doctrine or a little lure of this, and you go, well, that looks good. It sounds good. And then before you know it, you're out getting bit by a rattlesnake. And so then he says in verse 24, everything up to this point, he's just he's teaching, he's explaining, there's not really anything for us to do in the previous verses. He's he's stating truths. Then in verse 24, he gets to the point of what how we're to respond, how we're to live our lives, what are we supposed to do in light of this truth that there's dangers? Are we supposed to go out and start identifying who the Antichrist is? Christians have been doing this since like Nero. Like literally if you like I didn't even write down the list of names. If you go through and like say who has been identified as the Antichrist in Christian history, you start at Nero and then basically every US president depending on what side you happen to be supporting, like and Christians have supported both sides throughout all time. Like, he doesn't tell us to go find out. What he tells us to ask for you, let that abide in you what you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son. Now this word abide appears, I think it's like six times. One, two, three, four, five, six. In the next couple of verses, a, a teacher that wants you to get something, he will repeat it. A teacher that wants you to get something will repeat it. A teacher that wants you to get something will repeat it. Do I need to keep going? (laughs) He says, abide, abide, abide. And that's not even all of 1 John. Like all through this, abide in Christ, abide in Christ, abide in Christ. What does abide mean? Now, next week, we'll look more at at this. I see this as a parent going to a very crowded place, talking to their children, saying, I need you to stay with me. We sharpie our cell phone numbers on their belly button so they can, like, if they get lost, they can be found. We we hold their hands. You stay close. Stay close with me. There's a lot of people here. There's bad people. There's dangers out there. Stay close to me. John is saying, stay with Jesus. Hold his hand. Don't wander from him. If you wander from him, it gets really dangerous. You're going to get off course. It's dangerous out there. You don't want that to happen. This is the command. Let that abide in you which you heard From the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, number two, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. We need to totally place ourselves under His authority, under His control. Like about every three or four years, I go in for an annual uh, physical. Um, Maybe every five years. Some of you laughed. All the guys were like, oh yeah, I know exactly. And so... This last Monday was my time to go in for my annual physical. I normally go about the time when they forget who I am and I have to go like reestablish care kind of just because just in case I happen to get sick and I get to that place where I have to get it to a doctor, I like to actually have one that has my name. And so the problem is that since 2016, all of my doctor's appointments have been with my dad, an 88-year-old man with like early stages of Alzheimer's, and I've learned That in like my hundreds of doctor's appointments with him, who can barely walk, he, like, he just goes in, the doctor kind of talks to him, maybe listens to his heart, maybe does some stuff, but it's very, like, very minimally invasive. And so I've got that to my standard and I'm kind of like, I go into my doctor's appointment and I'm kind of just been groomed about like just going through it like an 80 year old man. And so I'm sitting there talking to the nurse, trying to make jokes, trying to like skip things. And uh, I'm now withholding information that, like, yeah, and I can hear her. I'm trying not to look at her because I'm, like, still trying to make my own decision whether I want to go there or not. They've changed the age limit on some things. Uh, it's, like, worse than the car seat. You know, when kids, we had kids that were six years old, and it's like, oh, yeah, you can go without a car seat. And then all of a sudden, the California changes to eight. And it's like, what about all those kids between six and eight, you know? Well, they did it again. So I'm trying to, like, joke my way out to distract the doctor so they forget to bring up certain stuff. But this is just with the nurse. And I'm feeling pretty good about everything. And then the nurse is like, okay, the doctor will be in to see you in a few minutes. And then she tosses me a robe. And I'm like, what's this for? They don't do this with my dad. And she's like, put on a robe. Like, okay, like over my clothes or what? Like, I'm not familiar with this. And she's like, no, 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 take off your clothes. I'm like, what do you mean take off my clothes? She's like, take off your clothes, put on the robe. I'm like, how much of my clothes? She's like, all of it. <laughs> the nurse speaks in the back. And so at this point, I'm doing what every reasonable person would do. is like, is an annual appointment that important? (laughs) I'm here of my own will. I'm not in the military anymore. I can just leave. And it definitely crossed my mind. I was like, this was a great idea, but it went bad, and let's just (laughs) fail. And then I'm like, okay, I'll take off my shirt, and I'll put on the robe, and I'll just kind of be partway obedient. I've seen toddlers do this all the time. And then I'm like sitting there in a chair. I'm like, no, she said to take it all off. And so then I'm like all right, take it all off. And then you're just feeling like super vulnerable. Then the doctor comes in and it's like, like, what's the protocol when you're like this? Do you greet with a hug, a handshake? Like, I'm like, <laughs> nice to meet you. Like, and she says, I need you to lay back on the table. And I'm like, okay. Like, so I'm doing my whole thing. And the whole point of why I'm bringing this up Is This is how we need to be with God. Like, It might be uncomfortable, but we need to subject ourselves to him regardless of how comfortable or uncomfortable it is for us because I can guarantee you that living for God is going to go against your nature. It's going to go against your culture. It's going to go against the grain of what you know. And he says, I need you to take it all off and put on this new thing. It's better than a robe that the doctor gives you. But we're supposed to put on our new life in Christ and get away with our old. And he's going to ask us to do things that are going to just really feel uncomfortable. Sure, we have the ability to walk away and to run and to do things our own way. But what the scripture tells us to do is that we need to abide in him. We need to rest in him. We need to trust him to do things his way. His way ultimately is the better way. He goes on to say in verse 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And right away, like we're taking a break from Genesis, but I just hear the word, I see the word promise. And I think of Abraham who heard the promise, responded to the promise, lived his life according to the promise. Not by his own works, not by his own deeds, not trying to do things his own way, but submitting himself to living for God, even if it meant sacrificing his son Isaac. He says to abide, to hold Jesus' hand, because the promise that Jesus has given us is eternal life. He doesn't want us running down the road, trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. It's not up to us to flip the switch of when Jesus comes back. What we're called to do is to abide in Jesus, allow his spirit to be within us, that we would be in step with the spirit of God so that we would manifest the fruit of the spirit in our own lives. And he says, I'm writing all of this to you because the reason that he even brings up Antichrist is because there's a whole swath of people who are the Gnostics who says, we know better than you. We have the details. We we actually have the finer points. You need us to lead you into spiritual truth. You can't do it on your own. You need to follow after us, and we will help you to understand and John says, no, you don't. What you, you have the anointing of the Spirit of God. You have the promise of eternal life, and eternal life is eternal. If it's to be taken away from you, that's not eternal. That would be conditional life. We have eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you, he's like, there are rattlesnakes all over there. You don't want to get bit by a rattlesnake. You don't want to be... Let off course. What I need you to do is to hold my hand. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all these things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So there, two more times we get this word, abide. The anointing which you receive from him abides in you. I believe this is the sealing of the Spirit, the promise that we have, the down payment until... Uh, uh, let me just go over there. I'm not, I already butchered John 3.16, which is really embarrassing, and I'm not going to do it again, so I'll just read it. In Ephesians 1.13, we read, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. This is a deposit that you can't take back with a view until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He abides in you. The Spirit of God has sealed you. You have no one, you have no need for anyone to teach you. His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. And so he's not discarding the role of teaching within the church, obviously he is doing that here. But there is a huge distinction because there are religious groups that will say, you cannot learn about God apart from the authority of the church or whatever. You, like Martin Luther, the big reformation with the Catholic church, his big crime is that he wanted the, the scriptures like translated into the language of the people. They said, no, 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 you can't trust the people with the local, like, you, you can't. And there's groups all over the place. The groups then were doing it. And John's saying, you don't need anybody. You have the Spirit. The Spirit will teach you. Any teacher that you sit under, any church that you go to, my aim as a pastor here is not to say, you got to go through me for the interpretation. But I very much have the conviction and the leading of the Spirit through the Word of God that my role as a pastor of the church is to equip y'all—it's in that tense—to do the work of the ministry. It's my responsibility to teach you all how to study the Scriptures. This, my prayer at least— is why my aim is to go sort of a book of the Bible at a time. We, or we sometimes we take a break if it's Genesis and it's like 50 chapters and it's going to take forever. But we move through sort of like line by line, word by word, and I go through and I, I I go through the text and I try to give you insight into my thinking about how I came upon it, the words that we see, because my prayer is that as you watch me teach the Bible, that when you sit down and you read the Bible, you go, oh, I'm reading this. And I notice that in this section in four verses, the word love pops up 10 times. I kind of feel like if it repeats itself, it's supposed to be important. And so then you can figure out like what's the point of love and what's like whatever it is. And so hopefully that my style of teaching is teaching you that the Bible is important, and that you're being taught how to study the Bible, how to handle the Bible, things to, to, to look out for, how to go about your lives. You don't need me to tell you exactly how to think. My aim is to point you to the Scriptures so that you can think by yourselves and hopefully conclude that like being a part of a local church is important, being in the Scriptures is important, abiding in Christ is important, because you have the Spirit of God Peter tells us that you are a priest and that you have this responsibility for your spiritual welfare before him. And I think that's what he's saying. He's not saying that there's no need for you to have a teacher. We all have need for a teacher. I have need for a teacher. Like we all, like in this life, we need teachers. And thank God we have the spirit of God within us leading us, guiding us. That's why when we open our Bibles, we pray, Lord, may your spirit lead us and guide us. All right, I'm over time. We had all those announcements, and Melanie was like, you know, candy corn. and But like, what do we do with that? What do, what do we do with this passage? Like, I think first thing, thinking about the rattlesnakes, when my kids were brought to Valley Center from a very early age, like, like, before you learn how to crawl, you need to learn that there are dangers of rattlesnakes out there. Like, we don't joke around in our house with, like, play little rattlesnakes, like, and then the irony is little Rebecca comes together with rattlesnake eggs today. I'm like, Oh, Rebecca, I'm not falling for it. I know rattlesnake is a danger. And she's looking at me with her, you know, big brown eyes that smile. Come on, Pastor Gunner, just open the rattlesnake eggs. And I'm like, I know you're going to get me. Rattlesnakes are bad. And I pointed it at her face because I thought rattlesnakes are going to jump out and the thing spun up. And we need to be aware of the dangers out there. We live in a world, we live in a society that is going against Christ. There are many antichrists. There are counterfeits, and there are those that are just outright against him. You go out into the world today, and you say, I am a Christian. I'm living for Christ. My decisions are based upon what he wants in my life. (laughs) That's going to go over very harsh, and it does, amongst your family, amongst your coworkers, amongst the world that you're like. The battle is real. John has told us that there's a battle within us. There's a battle outside of us. And we need to be aware. We don't want to be like Bill Murray in one of the funniest movies of all times, the man who didn't know, the, the man who knew too little. For those of you that don't know this movie, and I'm not endorsing it because I don't know what it's rated. I don't, I think it's clean, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Bill Murray goes to visit his brother who's married to a lady in London. And Bill Murray's an annoying guy. And his brother has this very important business meeting dinner at his house. And so he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you away to this thing. It's a, it's a, it's a live uh, dinner theater that's like real and it's interactive. And it's about somebody getting, it's like a whodunit thing. And Bill Murray gets lost on the way and gets, like, caught up in a real crime situation, and he thinks it's all part of the acting thing. And he's, like, laughing, like, people are shooting him. One point, something gets in his eyes, like, time out, time out. I got something in my eye. And we don't want to be like this as Christians. Like, we don't want to be going through life, like, thinking it's just a big game. Like, this is real, and there's a real battle happening according to the Scriptures. And so the way that we say "stafe." The way we say stay stay safe, I've like merged two words there. The way we stay safe in the battle is not wandering from Jesus. Staying close to him, abide in him and his word, hold his hand. He will keep you apart from him. We have nothing. And we as a church exist to spur one another on, to help each other in our walk, in our relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. We, Lord, in this passage, we see um, that the longer that we walk with you, the more likely that we see uh, people we love in the faith uh fall away and depart from you is 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 a reality that we will see. It hurts, it's painful, we don't know how to square it in our minds. And so, Father, we pray. Um, for these individuals. I know that as I'm speaking, I I have two, three good friends that pop to my mind, and I just, I pray for them, Lord. I I pray that as these people come into your minds, that you would pray for them, that you would help us to have opportunities to love on them and to share Christ with them. Father, we pray from this passage um, that you would help us to stay close to you there are so many temptations out there from within, from without. There, there is a battle raging to draw us away from Christ. And so we pray that you would help us to cling tightly to his hand, give us the strength to walk with him. We pray that your spirit would convict us, lead us, uh, show us the, the warning signs. And Father, may we just keep the main things the main things, keep us close to Jesus for we know that he is the answer. We thank you that he died for us. We thank you that he was our substitute. We thank you that he died for our sins, past, present, and future. Father, we know the conditions of our heart that we are prone to wander. And we ask, Lord, that you would keep us close to you. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus's good name we pray. Amen.